My guest today is artist Jelly. If you change your mentality on why you're collecting something, that's when you have the most to lose because then you're just risking it all and you don't even know what for. So as long as you you collect knowing why you're collecting or you set a goal or you're like, okay, well, if it ever hits this price point, that's when I'll sell. Or if this happens, that's when I'll do this. Or I'm just going to hold forever and not even worry about the rest. You just got to take that on an NFT by NFT basis because not every NFT is going to give you the same return. Hello, NFT land. I'm Eric Rhodes, and this is the Outer Round Podcast, where we talk to artists and professionals in the NFT space. My guest today is artist Jelly, and we discuss everything from her favorite books to her Light Screams series and her investment in the Bored Apes. Now, if you're listening to this podcast and you're enjoying what you're listening to, please do me a favor and take a screenshot of the episode and text it to one of your friends. That's one of the ways that we get support. Now, thank you for listening to me and let the show begin. Welcome, Jelly. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me here today. I'm excited to have you. It's been, I've, I've known you for some time and I've been looking forward to a podcast conversation with you. Um, you know, this is going to be fun. I'm excited. Let's yes. Yes. It. Let's get to it. So um, those who've listened to the podcast know that I like to ask the first question about something about your youth. So um, let me pick an age. Let's go six years old. Who does, who is six year old? Jelly. And what does she think of who you are today? Six-year-old Jelly was a very different person because she had just recently come to the United States from the island of Puerto Rico. Um, So I was just learning the language, trying to figure out who I am, what America is. Um, So that was a very, very fun time for me to just explore everything around me. Um, Yeah. Was it so my mother came to the United States at six from Italy, and she had a really difficult time uh, adjusting. She was bullied in school because um, she didn't speak the language. She went to a Catholic school. So I'm curious. Um, you know, you said you had a fun time. That surprises me. Like, what was fun about it? Everything was fun to me. Um Learning the language was actually the most fun because my mom says I picked it up within like two or three months. Um, So growing up, I would bring my homework home and start doing it. And slowly but surely, like my mom would start learning it along with me as I did my homework. So like we kind of learned together. Um, So that was just the most. That's cool. So you're six years old. You're in the United States. Uh, what are you doing? Like, what kind of activities are you involved in? Are, were you artsy as a kid? Like, how did how does art fit into the, to your life in that way? At that time, I think I was starting to get into bowling. My parents put me in a bowling league with my sister, um, and we did that on the weekends. And it wasn't until I was about seven or eight years old that I became artsy. That for um, I think it was my birthday or Christmas. I was gifted a Barbie Polaroid camera. Oh boy. That changed my life. Um, I became obsessed with just taking Polaroid pictures of everything. It was photography ever since. I see some photographers um, don't put themselves in front of the camera, but you do a little bit of both, don't you? You put yourself in front of the camera and you also sort of take pictures of the world. 
Yes, but I didn't start putting myself in front of the camera until much, much later in life. Um, it wasn't until 2017 that I had challenged myself with a project because for Instagram back then I would do a personal photography project every year and then just challenge myself. Okay. I'm going to shoot 35 millimeter, uh, millimeter film this year. Okay. Now I'm going to do instant film this year. And that year I just did um, black and white photography. It started off as, and I was like, well, let me challenge myself to do something entirely different because I never do self portraits. I always just take pictures of everybody else or street photography or just like abstracts. And that year I just did self-portraits in black and white, um, some long exposure ones, some double exposure self-portraits. It was that project that was like my first few minted um, photo series um, pieces in additional back in 2019 when I first started minting my work. So that series really stuck with me. And I guess that's sort of like where the I am the art came from, because like back then that's the photography that I was putting out at first and no one was really interested. And I was like, okay, well, let me pivot whatever art I'm making. So I shifted into trash art, into manipulations and a little bit of everything, but I always just kept that, like, I am the art, like in the background. Um, and then other artists started taking my self portraits from that series, like on my Instagram and remixing it themselves. And I was like, all right, this is awesome. This is kind of that. Is the series called I am the art? It was not called I am the art. It just kind of organically became that sort of like statement for the series. Yeah. I've got the sticker on my computer. <laughs> oh, that is, this is the art. Oh, this is the art. Let me see. Let's there's see. I am the art. There is, this is the art. This oh, is right. The art yeah, look. Oh, yeah. That was right. my first, uh, one of like my first little like low effort trash art pieces. Lovely. I was just like, oh, what is art? And I was like, well, it can be anything. Let me glitch this text and that's the art. It fucking A, yeah, low effort. Beautiful. <laughs> Love it that way. So before we start diving into sort of your your foray into NFTs, I feel like there's um, some more to get into between six-year-old and 2017. So tell me a little bit about like what you were doing. You know, you're getting into, you're getting into bowling, then you get this Barbie camera with Polaroids. Like, what were you doing? What kind of things were you into? What kind of things was I into? Oh, man, I was into books. I was really into, I read a book every single day. Um, in high school, my uh, my AP Lit teacher, uh, he had this, like, entire little library in his classroom. And every day during lunch period, I would go in and be like, all right, I've got a book for you. And at the end of the day, I would drop it back off and we'd talk about the book and be like, all right, tomorrow I've got another book for you. So for a while I stopped from, I guess, like my Barbie camera phase into like high school. I didn't do artsy stuff as much because during that time, like my sister was the artist in the family. Um, and she was doing like graffiti and street art and just like a whole bunch of like new school stuff. And I was like, okay, well, that's not really my forte. Let me just focus on school and academics and stuff like that. So I just, I focused on that. What were you reading? Like, what's your favorite book from that era? Harry Potter. It was always just really? a lot of just like corny young adult stuff. I love young adult stuff. There's one called Prep, which is very similar to Catcher in the Rye. Um, but it's told from like a girl's point of view and she goes off into like boarding school and she has like the same sort of like teenage life crisis that Holden Caulfield has. Mm -hmm. um, 
but I guess prep was like my favorite book in high school. And I go back and I read it every once in a while. I'm like, man, young adults are just, they're built different these days. I have a favorite book that I read quite often. What's your favorite? It's count the, I read two, actually two. One is the Count of Monte Cristo. I'll read that at least once a year. And the same with Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which is a philosophy book written by this guy, Robert M. Persig. Uh, every time I read it, I learn something new. So I'm curious, when, you, when you're reading these books again over and over, do you sort of view it through a different lens and then get some additional insight, or is it something different for you? For me, I like to, I like to put myself in the place of like the main character and then try to understand why they're perceiving everything around them the way that they are. So I guess like I try to empathize with them as much as possible and be like, well, why do you think like, for example, in Harry Potter, like you see Harry, like going with his struggle with like Snape and like, well, I know why you feel that way towards him because like everyone else around you is like saying, well, he's a Slytherin, but like you have to, I guess, I don't know. I just lose myself in it. I really do. I feel like there's a correlation there to being behind the camera and sort of losing yourself in the imagery. There is. They're really, I'd like to put myself in worlds that aren't reality, so to speak. So I want everything that isn't real is what I what's, want. To what's reality? Like when you say reality, tell me, tell me what that is. Reality. I had recently uh, read an article about, um, I guess, I think he was a psychologist um, or psychiatrist, something along that um, line of work, but um, a gentleman Do you who it was. I can't remember. There's if I find the article, I'll definitely send it to you. Yeah, if we find it and then we'll we'll add it in the show notes. Yeah, but it was he had explained that to um, that to him, he realized that reality is just a hallucination that everyone agrees upon. So let's say like your consciousness and everything that you think in your brain and in your mind and how you perceive the world and everyone around you in your brain. It's just a hallucination of what you think is happening or like what you believe the intentions are behind everybody else's actions. Mm-hmm. And that reality was the hallucination that we can all agree upon. So I guess like reality is like, if you see something and I see something and we're both like, Hey, did you see that? And we agree on it. Well, that was real. But then if I'm like, Hey, did you see this over here? And you look and like, I don't see anything. Then I'm like, did I imagine that? Was it real? Is it really there? Right. So I like to capture the things that aren't really there, but are. So like with my light photography, they're all long exposure. So if I were to take a snap of some lights, like in an instant, it wouldn't capture the motion of the lights that I'm capturing. So the long exposure allows me to show you what's really happening, but like you don't see it as it's happening, if that makes sense. Totally. I love the the visualization of the reality is something we agree on, right? The hallucination that we agree on. I've recently been playing with the concept mentally that reality is a delusion, <laughs> right? It is like it to me, it's like my reality is the reality I perceive through this lens, this body the experiences yours is different we live in the world together and we experience things together but the way that we understand them is is unique 
right? And then I think what you're saying is that shared understanding is the hallucination. And at the same time, I think that shared understanding is a delusion too. Because sometimes what society is telling us is the shared understanding. And then I have a nasty habit of challenging what I see. I love that habit of yours. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> I admire it and I respect it. Because Thank you. not a lot of people have, I guess, the I guess courage to kind of just like stick it out there and be like, well, if you think A and so and so thinks B and I think C, well, why not all of them? Why not a little bit of everything? Well, why does it have to be just this or that? And just challenge it all. Yeah. It's um I used to just do it all in the in the head. And then, you know, going through the journey of practicing in public, which is one of the great things I think we were that enabled us to grow as artists. We were playing in this like little fantasy world for two years. Well, you much longer than me. Um, you were playing in 2018, right? Like you started playing in early additional? Yeah. Early 2019. So I I discovered the space early 28, late 2018. I didn't do anything until mid 2019, but I was watching. And I was afraid because I was like, oh my God, they're, there's this, you know, am I good enough? Right? I had all those fears. Um, doubts. Oh, I still have doubts to this day. You know, what, what prompted you to be like, to go from, like, what prompted you to jump into like this world, you know, to get onto additional, like, what, what were you doing that you found yourself in that moment? In that moment? Well, Prior to additional, right before, I guess maybe two or three weeks beforehand, um, I was just on Twitter. I had been in the crypto space since 2017. Um, so like the ICO boom and stuff. Um, but I didn't really know about NFTs, though I, I'm pretty sure I have this little journal somewhere with like a date from like 2017, 2018. Um, I was like messing on the Tron network and stuff. Um, and I have a note somewhere. I was like, some like I wonder if I can make my art, a token, but I'm not sure how this works. Like, I didn't know it was an actual concept already, but I was like, how do I put my art on the blockchain and like have people buy that? But I couldn't quite articulate it well or whatever. So I was just like, okay, whatever. And I was like messing on Tron for a little bit. You've got to get a capture of that journal and put it out there. I'm pretty sure it's in this closet behind me somewhere. Yeah. But <laughs> I'll dig it out and I'll take a picture and I'll send it to you. But I was like messing with tokens and stuff. And then Tron wasn't going. So I was like, nah, screw this. I'm going to move on to like other other stuff. And I had come across an article that was about um, Kevin Abosh, his Forever Rose, and his like I Am A Coin project and um, Art by Vesa with like his giant paintings of like models and stuff. Yes. And I was like, oh, this is fascinating. I think this is kind of what I was looking for, but I didn't find it before. And the forever rose at the time was like the million dollar photograph. And I was like, oh man, so photography can be a thing on the blockchain. Let me do a little bit more research. And then I saw that um, Vesa was on Codex protocol. So I Googled that up and I was like, okay, let me sign up for Codex. I went through the registration and I got verified. I minted a piece the next, uh, the next week. It was like on the homepage, it was like art by Vesa. And then like my gallery. And I was like, ah, oh, yeah, I made it. Like I put my art up, like I did this. Um, and then about a week after that. Tell me what that feeling is like. 
Like that I made it feeling. What were you feeling? That feeling, it wasn't quite I made it feeling uh-huh. yet. It was just like, it was a giddiness, a uh-huh. giddiness of like, okay, well, here's an artist who was like, known in the space he's got like articles written about him and like my little gallery is right next to his little gallery now like on this home page so like maybe when people go looking for him they'll be like oh well who's this artist next to him or whatever so it's just like okay maybe like a little bit of exposure but i didn't think much of it isn't it interesting that one of the things that i think turns people off about the traditional art world is you don't get to play in the same realm as the traditional artist or the gallery artist Right. Like they're in a gallery and you can't even sniff putting your artwork up there unless you get through some magical gate. And then here comes, you know, blockchain art world. And, you know, you're putting your art up for the first time. And here's this known artist who's getting coverage and boom, you're like right next to him playing in the same space. It's insane because you grow up and you're like, okay, well, I've got my little sandbox in this playground, but all the other kids, they've got, you know, they got the jungle gym and the really cool slide, you know, like I want, I want to play on that stuff. Like I want to be on the swings, the sand. And in that moment, it's like, well, did you know that all you have to do is stand up and walk outside the sandbox and walk to the swings? And it's like, you could just jump right on them. Who knew? Like you could have a blast and that's, that's exactly what happened. I was like, oh shit, I'm here. Yeah. Yeah, you are. So go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> and I kept going. And then um, a week or so later is um, when Additional launched. Uh, and I don't remember how I got the notification for that app, but I was just like, oh, there's a new app. Let me download it. Let me see what it's about. And it was just like a user. Um, the user interface was very like Instagram. Like you just post a picture, you got a little feed, you can follow people, you can comment. And at first I was like, okay, let me just send this little picture up, whatever. And then like, I started realizing, oh, I'm minting my photographs. Okay. This is kind of like Codex, but I don't have to pay for it. It's free. So I left Codex and I was like additional everything. And I started dropping series on there. Um, And then one of my uh, self-portraits from that 2017 black and white series, I took that self-portrait. I manipulated it a little bit, gave it a little bit of a glitch. And um, Jake Bruckham looked at it, was like, this is amazing. I need the first edition of this piece. I will buy it from you. I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. And in that moment- your first sale? That was my very first sale ever. And it was- Okay, tell me. For 0.1 ETH, which was at Uh the time was $17. You look at it, you think of that now and you're like, that's nothing, that's whatever. But it was- my very first bit of ETH that I ever earned. So that means Ethereum was $170. Yeah. Wow. To go back, right? <laughs> to go back, yeah. But yeah, that was my very first sale. I thank Jake Bruckham for it every single day. Um, every chance I get, I'm like, thank you, Jake Bruckham. You changed my life. Because the day after he bought that picture, I had done a little doodle on like a piece of paper with some paint splatter and a pen. And I wrote, Uh, am I an artist now, mom? Am I? And like, I put that one up. I was like, I think, I think I'm an artist now. Cause like they say, you're not a professional until you're making money. Right. So I was like, well, I made money. Mm -hmm. I'm a professional now. Like people are paying me for it, even though it's $17, like I'm being paid. I'm an artist now. And that was the moment I decided. Was your family supportive of 
your career in art? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, at the time I was working in a restaurant, I was serving. I wasn't happy. I loved what I did. You know, I loved being in the hospitality industry. I loved, you know, working with people, but I always knew that there was something else I should be doing. Like this life isn't for me. This restaurant life is not for me. I know that Um, feeling. But I did it because I was good at it and I enjoyed it. It didn't fulfill me. Yeah. But it was like enough. It paid the bills too. It paid the bills. And, you know, at the time I was working my way up to a promotion. Mm -hmm. um, Because, you know, I was like, if I'm going to be in this industry, like I might as well make it worthwhile and, you know, make it to the top. So I started working my way up to the top, you know, became a host, bartender, team leader, like started training to become a manager. And then as I was right on the cusp, COVID happened. And they're like, sorry, we're all unemployed now. You got to sign up for unemployment. That's it. Sorry. Like that was literally the email. We're all unemployed. Go sign up for unemployment. I'm sorry. Uh, like word for word, that was the email. Yeah. My ex-wife used to work in the hospitality industry um, as a hostess. I know firsthand how, well, secondhand really, how hard it is to, uh, it's hard hours, you, you know, your prime hours are in the evening. So you're probably, my guess is if you're making money, you're working after lunch all the way through 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night. Uh, Those are hard hours. And then you go from sort of doing that hard work and then the whole country is shutting down and you are left with what? Nothing. Right. Absolutely nothing. I had nothing but art to keep me going. Uh-huh. Like at that time is when trash art was just getting started, March, oh, February, March of that year. Yeah. Um, I was like, well, it's okay. Now I have more time to work on my art and do what I need to do. And that's what I did. And I just got by on my art. And towards the end of that year, um, I had gotten called back up for my manager. Like, hey, we're opening up the restaurant again. I want you on my team. You're finally getting this promotion that you've worked so hard for it. Like, let's do it. Let's get it done. And I was like, I was ecstatic. I was like, yes, you know, I worked so hard for this. It's time. Like I can still keep doing my art stuff. I can make money on the side. Like, you know, just get my bag up. And I did that for three months, put in all the hard work, went through like the entire management training, learned the entire lot, like the whole restaurant back and forth. And the third month in, I started, you know, driving my way to work. And every single morning I would be in tears, the 40 minute drive to work crying, just, I don't want to go. I shouldn't be here. Like this isn't, my mom would look at me every morning and be like, you need to, you need to stop. Like, if this isn't what's making you happy, even though you put in all the work for it, I know how much you wanted this. If it's not making you happy, I can't look at you like hurting yourself every day, going into a job that's not fulfilling you. And the anxiety was just incredible mm-hmm. until one day I looked at my, my bosses and I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I, I have to put in my two weeks. I'm just, I can't, I love it here. I love the job, but I, it's not for me. I could hear it in your voice. Uh, even right now, that's that was a hard decision for you. 
you worked hard for a lot of years to get to to get to this position and you get there and you're like it's not what i wanted it's heartbreaking it's i guess my first real heartbreak wow was was that job because i had been at it for 7 7 8 years yeah. you know i grew up in that restaurant i you know that it was my family there to leave it all just not because i didn't want to do it but because like something in me was telling me it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. And I can't quite explain that feeling, whether it's fate or kismet or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. It just, the anxiety was too much. And I was like, don't do it. And, you know, I quit. It's been exactly a year since I quit. Congratulations. Um, thank you. And life has been great. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I had some a similar experience. You made the decision seemingly faster than I did. I put myself into a pretty awful spin out. Six months of mental breakdown. What was that decision making process like? Was it instantaneous, or did you mull it over for a long period of time? I mulled it over. I think before I even said yes to going back. In all honesty, right. I went back because, because I had worked so hard for it. And I was like, I'm not going to not try. You know, I put in the work. Let me see if I'm built for it. I didn't want to let my manager down. If like, it sounds corny, but you know, she put, you know, she put her, her name on the line to bring me into her team again and say, you know, you're the one I want for this job. And in the end, it's good to be wanted too. It, it really did feel good. And like, I knew that like, I would give it my all for her. Like, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go all out and we're going to go big or go home. And you I said think- something there that I think is really key. You said for her. Yeah. I didn't, and, and I didn't hear for you. Right. You're right. You're well, that's really what also held me back from quitting for so long was also for her and not for uh-huh. me yeah. because um, when I was going to put in my two weeks notice, I had, you know, been thinking about it and she was on vacation. Um, well, not on vacation. She was at a different store helping them open up for a few weeks. And I was like, well, I don't want to quit if she's not around for me to do it. Like, I don't want to leave. And, you know, she's gone. So I had tried to put it off for as long as possible. And every week they're like, oh, well, okay, I'll be back next week. And they're like, no, they need me here a little bit longer. Things are taking longer than usual. And I was like, I can't, I can't <laughs> anymore. And it came down to it where the, the district partner had, uh, had come. And I looked at him, I was like, I'm waiting for, I, I was waiting for her to get back because I wanted, you know, her to hear it from me just because like, that's the sort of person I am. Like, if I'm going to do this, I want to have that face-to-face conversation. But I, at that point she had been gone for a month and I was like, I can't put it off any longer. Like I have to put in my two weeks. So I called her on, on FaceTime. I was like, I'm so sorry, but like, this is what I have to do. And she's like, no, don't you dare apologize because, you know, she's seen my journey with art at that time. She's like, no, you have nothing to apologize for. Like I can hear in your voice how much you don't want to do this for me, but do what you got to do. I'm so proud of you. And, you know, if you ever want to come back, you know, you can. Um, But if not, 
congratulations and I wish you the best. And, you know, I still talk to her every once in a while. I still, you know, visit the restaurant. And when I see her, she's always like, so how's the art stuff going? You sure you don't want to come back? And I'm like, nope, I'm doing great. But, you know, it'll always be You chose Jelly. Jelly chose Jelly. And seems like it's holding up pretty well. What was the emotion after sort of stepping away from this and realizing you're on this journey, this artistic journey now? What was, what's the emotion behind that? It's overwhelming. It's extremely overwhelming because now I have to like, I take a step back and be like, okay, now I really can do anything I want. I have all the time in the world. Now what? And that Uh, what has me kind of bottled a little bit. Sure. Now I have the time to focus on, I guess, I mean, you went through a similar process last year with like your rebranding from Second Realm to Eric P. Rhodes. Absolutely. Figure out who you are as an artist. Yes. And I guess like your personal brand. Mm -hmm. And I'm sort of stuck because I didn't do it right from the beginning, I feel like. You you didn't do it right as in like... Like as I started, like I, I didn't think these things through, like as my plan. And now I'm looking back, I'm like, oh man, I should have set myself up for success a little bit better. So now I have to like go back and like, okay, now I have to lay out my foundation and do it right. So to speak, but Uh in my mind, doing it right just means I don't want to just throw work out just to throw it out anymore. I want to be more consistent. I want to be thoughtful with my mints. I want to be deliberate with what I put out now. I want to build a body of work as opposed to just, this is all the art I've created. Here's one little series. Here's another, here's another. Yeah. That's, that's the benefit to making the decision though. You have the time to see the, the land the lay of the land sort of when you're trying to fit art into your work life and art is just something like the, the thing you do on the side um, it's, it's, it, it needs to be rushed in a way, right? Like I've got to get this out. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm experimenting with this. I've got to put this out. Um, I'm experimenting with this. I didn't think about any of those things too. I was just sort of throwing shit out there and, that's why I've got really terrible, like, uh, political pieces that today I look back and I'm like, ooh. ooh. I think I've got one or two of those ooh pieces. Yeah, I think you do. Oh, man, one of your Trump pieces with, um, oh, man, I'll look it up and I'll send it to you. But it's, um, yeah. it's yeah. orange and blue. It's like the main colors and it's like pixelated with, um, with like a young girl next to him. You know that young girl is his daughter. Was it in the? Yeah, p- that's that's what's her name. Um, Let me pull it up real quick because now it's going to. Ivanka, go. that's Ivanka is her name. That's a picture a- of her. It was taken in front of a lion, and I glitched it. It was just photomashed, really. I'm dying to find it now. Yeah, Second. I think, and I think I attached a, a a lawsuit that was about pedophilia related to. Trump. Oh, it is. It's yeah. 
I don't know if they can see it on here. Yeah. It's, it's called this um, alleged pedophile 2020. Yeah. I was stretching. 2020 was me trying to just like get all the angsty artist out of me. You know, do I want to be a political artist? Do I want to be, you know, sort of what you're talking about. It's like everything. just like experimenting and putting it out there. But now the, the, the rebrand was me like in 21, I decided this is a business. Like before it was hobby-esque and it was making me money. In 21, I decided, no, this is going to be a business. And then I had the fucking realization. I'm like, I need to put Eric Rhodes out there. Like people know who Second Realm is, but I want them to know me, right? And like, so all that stuff. And you're, you're, it seems like you're in that mode now where you're, where you're starting to redefine what, what your art landscape is going to look like. I want to redefine like what people think of when they think of my art. Cause for some people it is, you know, oh, Jelly's lights or, you know, her self-portrait doodles from way back when, or some glitchy stuff, but it's never like a consistent answer throughout. And I want, you know, when people think of, oh, who is YRDGZ? I'm like, she's got the lights, man. Like, yeah, I, I, I think that's a, a good, I mean, it's a good mindset to have, you know, when, when people think about ferocious, they know he's red, white, and blue, or they know they're red, white, and blue colors. Um, and it's going to be, you know, organic sort of figurative art, right? You know what you're going to get from Brian Brinkman. You know what you're going to get from, X copy, you know what you're going to get from people, you know, so stylistically, that's a good way to go. Um, but creatively, so it's limited. It's, sti- it's stifling. Yeah. And that's, that's the problem I have, you know, with it. And that's why, that's why I haven't fi- figured out what the answer is yet for me. You know, I do a whole bunch of things. It's what holds me back from doing a lot of toters, to be perfectly honest with you. Because <laughs> I, like, I want people to know I'm trash art, but I don't want people to, like, Rob Ness is choker. Trash art. Yeah. What's that? Like, you want people to, like, know you for trash art, but not only trash art. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's so much more to your art than just toters. Like, you do have the political pieces. You do have the Trash and Tosh series, which is my absolute favorite. You have the unofficial punks. You have your synthesis. It's all over. Yeah. So much. I know. People should not only just think toters when they think of you. Right. Right. But but it's it's what you're talking about. You know, how do you get... You want people to recognize you for something. Yelly for lights. Or yelly. Jelly for lights, right? I did it again. I fucked up. Let's try that again. <laughs> jelly for lights. <laughs> jelly, jelly. Same. What yeah. tomato motto? <laughs> I know. And so, like, what? So, what are you doing? Like, you are part of the trash art world. You are a trash artist, uh, one of the OGs in the trash art space. And yet, you seem to do a really good job of connecting yourself with that community yet having your own style. And I feel like I've worked so hard to do the opposite at first. And now I'm stuck a little bit. Like I have my surreal stuff and that's the stuff I really, really love to do, mm-hmm. but it doesn't get like, people don't like it. 
but not that people don't like it. People aren't like digging it as opposed to like they dig when I when I like do bad Trump shit or I'm you know remixing or something like that. You know, so I'm well, still figuring out who I am. I think that people don't know what they want, what they like just yet. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of a lot of the art that's being produced right now or that's being created in the moment is still just like a little bit too ahead of collector taste. I guess like the best example for this I have, like it's frustrating for me in to a certain extent um, because when I first started in the space, all I minted was photography, just photos, self-portraits, like photography that's been manipulated, digitized, color, like mashups. Everything was a photograph, whether it looked like it or not. It was a photograph. And that was my thing. And nobody cared for it, like at all. It didn't get any, yeah. no one, no one bid at it. Um, now photography is huge. And now everyone's like, oh, photography, this photography, that. I'm like, oh, the photography pioneers. I'm like, no, I was a fucking pioneer. Just nobody knew it. And then like now, well, then everybody else came around with their Instagram collections and, you know, got all the followers and all the. Yeah. What do you do? Like, frustrating. That's all. And you know what? That's totally appropriate. I find myself getting frustrated every day um, and I have to find the thing that I have to hold on to that's true to me. Right. And that's just I, I have it stuck in my head. If I show up every day whether or not people are seeing me consistency is going to play out. You know, there might be photographers who come in, have the following quick hit, make some money, disappear, come back again in four years, quick hit, make some money, disappear. Who knows? You know, um, but what are you doing to sort of root yourself and to come back every day? Yeah. I mean, I gotta, I, I mean, I didn't get into this, for the clout or for the money or for the recognition. I got into this just to put my photos up, just to share them with the world. And I'm blessed to be in a position where, you know, I was able to quit my job and make a living at this. So that's just like the icing on the cake. But all I wanted to do was share my photos. So as long as I can keep doing that and someone enjoys the photos, say, hey, I like looking at it. It's pretty. That's all I need. Like, as long as you like looking at it and, you know, I made something that you can enjoy, that's fulfilling enough for me. So I'm hearing something that you're saying, but I want to tie it back to to your recent um, choice to leave hospitality, right? There you were doing something and not chasing clout, but chasing. Stability. Stability. Yeah, but also like you know, growing in the industry, chasing higher roles, right? I did something similar, uh, but now I'm happier than I've ever been. And life seems to be a little bit more chaotic because I'm the only one responsible for bringing money in. And so if I'm sleeping or I'm sick or nothing's getting sold, that's on me, right? Um, But there's a happiness to that that wasn't there when I was chasing, trying to work at tech companies and chasing trying to become a director at, at Google or Twitter or wherever it was. And I'm, uh, I, I, I feel that same happiness for you in you when you talk about I'm here because I put myself out there. There's a, 
it it brings a peace of mind and an an ease to living sort of where it's not well it's chaotic and stressful because it's like well if I don't make any sales and I'm not making money I'm not getting my bills paid but at the same time you're like well I'm making so many friends I'm having so many connections I'm growing as a creative being I'm growing as a person I'm connecting with so many other artists that are influencing me as a being so like that is also like a payment and reward for just being in the space it's like broader fulfillment I feel it like. is yeah yeah who's who are you inspired by in the space Mattia Coutini yes Mattia Coutini is I was inspired by him long before I even like knew who like who he was in the space or like who he was as a person. Um, when I had first started additional, um, I remember there was someone who had minted a piece that was like based on one of his works or something. Um, and I had recognized the stamps immediately. And I'm mad that I didn't claim that piece at the time. Cause I was like, well, I know that it's not Mattia who minted this. So it's definitely a fake. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get this piece. But that had prompted me to like go in and search like, okay, this is like his style, his stamps everywhere, his little patterns, like it's so intricate, like Mm -hmm. the dedication that he has for his craft is just so unbelievably inspiring because the level of detail that it takes and the time and the patience to create something that's so simply beautiful and elegant, like it's just, it's amazing not only like how he works, but also how he interacts with like everyone in the community. And he's a brilliant sounding board. Every time like I have a problem with something or I need some feedback on like a photograph or like whatever it may be, he's always just got like the best insight, the best advice. I adore him. He's, um, his energy comes through even in his tweets. You could just Absolutely. feel it. You could just feel the joy in the chows and the good mornings. Um, yeah, and it's so genuine. It's like it's not it's not good morning, good night BS. It's he's he legit just exudes like really positive energy. He it's funny as you're he's up there with you. I've got actually on my uh, desk, I'm about to blow your mind real quick because I've been framing a whole bunch of art that I've gotten uh, from all of my all of my artist friends and stuff. And in front of me now, I actually have some Mattia Coutini Polaroids. Yeah, I got one of those. I've been framing. And like when I say he's my favorite artist, like he's my absolute cool. favorite artist. And I had recently found out that um, my known origin Genesis piece was actually collected by Mattia. Get um, out of here. The very first one I had been, I think you had prompted my search one night when you were like buying back some of your work or somebody was buying back some of their work or something like that. And I went back and I was like, well, let me see if anyone has some of my work listed up for sale. I went and I, you know, scooped up a couple of pieces and then I spotted my Genesis piece from Known Origin, which was an edition of three. And I saw edition number one up for sale for an ETH. And I looked at the owned by address and it said Matia C. And I was like, no fucking way. Matia had my Genesis all this time. And I had no idea. Like I didn't even I didn't even know that he was like the first person to collect me on known origin. Yeah. And I reached out to him and I was like, Mattia, my dear, 
did you know you have my known origin genesis? And he's like, oh my God, like, yeah, I know I have your known origin genesis. Like, of course I know. Like, I had no idea. I need this in my life. I will trade you for it. And I had, um, he graciously accepted a trade for my first um, known origin self-portrait doodle that I had done in collaboration with um, Playform.io uh, back in 2019. So my first Playform assisted piece on known origin. I was like, this is a perfect trade, Mattia, because we're both Playform residents. So this has special meaning, but like, may you please trade me for my Genesis piece. Like I want to I want to hold on to this one. Um, so we traded for the Genesis and the Playform piece. And it was just a great story. And I, really I'll, I'll, for, I'll forever be thankful that he allowed me allowed me that trade, but also just grateful that he was my first collector on Known Origin. Yeah. I, you know, you're talking about Genesis pieces. I don't know who was my first. I'm jealous that you remember who, who your first the first person that bought your art was. And I'm also jealous that you know what your known origin piece is. I I mean, I think I know what mine is, but I just started this year. Um, but super rare, I burned my known origin piece. I mean my my Genesis piece. Oh no. They were there were six pieces oh. or eight pieces that were on known origin that were just terrible. Oh. Absolutely awful. And I burned all of them. I've burned one known origin piece. It was like a doodle I did during COVID. And I was like, I absolutely hate this. Why did I put this up? And I just burned the yeah. entire. I have one piece out there that I absolutely hate. And I think Colin owns it. And if I ever get that, it's it's a super rare piece too. If I ever get it, I'm burning it. But it's one of, <laughs> what's that? Why do you hate it so much? It's because it's, it's a trash art piece, but it's not, it was, it wasn't meant to be trash art specifically. Um, it's the one where like Trump in a monkey face is sitting in a throne and he's <laughs> bouncing across the cans and he's pooping in the cans. Colin would own that one. Yeah. So like, I don't know, the defecation aspect really just, I don't know, like even my, even the Hitler Trump stuff, I'll leave up this. <laughs> I just want to. Like, I just want to own it and get rid of it. Send it into the abyss. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So speaking of Playform and speaking of some of your latest works, I want to get into, I own two of your Light Screams series. Uh, I believe you have the Inst Abstracts, which is- Oh, that I do. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for correcting me. I need to get some Light Screams, apparently. (laughs) So yeah, tell like me, known origin. Okay, tell me, tell me about your light scream series. What was the inspiration? And then also, I want to hear a little bit about like how you make them. I think I think people would be really interested in hearing that. All right, so my light screams are uh, a series of abstract photographs that were taken at the Dreamverse Life Party during NFT NYC uh, last year, where we so met for the first time. Yeah, we met for the first time there. I and I also met. Um, Fanny from, oh man, now I don't know what she's from, but I met Fanny. I met um, Jennifer Chang, the CEO of Playform. I met Jake Bruckham there, a whole bunch of amazing people. Um, But Light Screams were photographs that were taken at the Dreamverse party. And for those who were there, they know that there were a lot of like crazy laser lights. Um, Insane. It was like a crazy rave party there. Um, So I, with my trusty iPhone, 
took some gorgeous long exposure photographs of just everything at the party um, from every angle. And some of the lights came out really amazing with the patterns. Um, so I've just been editing those and minting them as one of ones on known origin. Um, there are how, do you take, how do you take uh, long exposure uh, photographs on, on your iPhone? There are various apps that allow me to do it. Um, right now I use one called Moment. Um, the Moment app allows me to take long exposures. It has a bulb setting that allows me to adjust the ISO and the shutter settings. And then uh, I use my instant camera as well to take some light screen photos, uh, some long exposures because they have a, a bulb setting as well. So the light screens are available on known origin. And then after the digital light screens are done, which are the ones that were taken on my iPhone, there will be a series that will um, be on instant film that was also taken at the Dreamverse Life Party. And those will just be raw photos straight from the camera because I can't really edit an instant photograph. Is that one of the ones that I've got? Is that what's in the back there? So you've got a prototype for what was going to be the black and white collection of the inst abstracts a collection. Um, cool. Okay. So inst abstracts is for those who don't know, a collection of 100 um, analog generative instant photographs. So they're just long exposure photographs taken on my um, Fujifilm Instax mini camera. Um, and they're just generative light patterns that will never be repeated ever again. Um, that's what makes it generative. Um, and analog is just the film aspect of it. So you've got a uh, black and white version. of. I'm going to go grab it. Yeah, show it off. Because only 30 of those exist in the wild. And they have not been scanned. They have not been minted. So they are true one of ones. Yeah, I love it. I was handing this out as like my little business cards. You were. It's got your. It's got a, uh, a QR code on the back too. Yep. And every signature is different on the back. So. This is uh, yeah. It's there. There are a few pieces. I've got other pieces too, but there are a few pieces I like keeping in the background. Um, that always end up making it there. One by Decline. He did the zombie. Nice. There. So that zombie is actually was the. He was he was like glitching them after he created that artwork. And I was like, nah, dude, the zombie by itself is totally awesome. So, okay. So you've got this. And you're also a resident at uh, Playform along with Mattia. And I think Martin um, Ostakowski, right? MLO. Everybody knows him as MLO.art. And so what is what is Playform? I'm, I play with it too. I'm not a resident there, but I play I play with it as well. So uh, for those who don't know, Playform is no-code AI for artists um, that basically allows anyone to train um, artificial intelligence software, basically a GAN, um, on any inputs or photographs or artworks that you may have, and you can just work with whatever outputs that the AI produces for you. Um, so in collaboration with Playform Art Studio, I've been working on a couple of different projects. Um, but the one that I've been focusing on right now is called Ganalog, um, which stands for Generative Analog. And it's actually a collection that is inspired by and trained on the hundred analog generative photographs from Instabstracts. So I've taken all of those instant photograph lights and 
trained the AI model on those, and it's been producing its very own version of the generative light patterns on, it generated its own little Polaroid photo border as well. So some of the lights bleed into the frame and bleed out. Some of them are like really chaotic. Some are just like a little bit more toned down. And what I've been working on, I'll show you in a moment, is actually, I haven't quite decided how big this collection is going to be yet because it's so time consuming to put together. But essentially, I'm trying to create physical Polaroids, physical Polaroids featuring the light patterns that were created by the Playform software. And then the physical Polaroid itself is AR powered. So it's augmented reality powered with the Polaroid app. You can scan the photo itself and then the lights will move and then show you the lights in motion. That's really cool. So it's just producing the, the Polaroids in like a large quantity, I guess, like I'm aiming for 50 to a hundred, but it's just, it, it's a lot to put together and create. Is but. the light movement aspect for the AR one of the harder parts? Yes. Yeah. It's just getting the little the clip to flow perfectly enough and get it long enough for the photograph and then print the photograph on the Polaroid, make sure that I have the right clip with the right photograph. Otherwise, it's not going to quite work. So it's just tedious. It's tedious work, but it's going to be worth it because yeah. then when uh, collectors eventually mint the Ganalogs, they'll have the option to also claim the physical Polaroid as well. So it's it's a little bit of a two for one. So then you can mm-hmm. you know, trade the NFT eventually, but you'll always be able to keep the physical Ganalog. How many hours have you trained your AI? Ganalog? Oh man, I couldn't even tell you. I'd, I want to say like upwards of a hundred, maybe. Wow. I've maybe yet to train anything past, I've yet to train anything past like 20. So I'm curious, like, does it get better the more hours it trains? It gets smoother, I want to say. Okay. It does get better in the sense that, like, the detail in in the outputs will be more refined. It won't be as, like, I guess, grainy quality. It won't be as low quality as, like, the earlier glitchy results look. But the more you train it, it doesn't really change the results much. It just makes them cleaner. Interesting. Okay. And my next project, I'm going to train them for a hundred hours and see what happens. <laughs> yes. get pretty smooth results. Yes. And we can't, we can't do a podcast uh, without you uh, unless, uh, unless we mention your board ape, you were early on to the board ape scene. You prompted me and asked me if I was getting into the board apes and I'm like, no, these are dumb. And clearly I made the wrong decision. And you were on the fence for a while too. Cause even at Dreamverse, you're like, oh my God, I love how like all the apes are showing up in their hoodies. You know, like the vibe is really yeah. cool. It's making me yeah. think. That. I was like, I hope you do. I yeah. Really- no, I missed that shit. I almost missed it. I mean, I talked about it in the, um, the podcast interview I did with Matt and Rizzle. Um, but when the board apes came out, you know, everybody was like, nah, don't do it. They're terrible. You know, it's just the and next. That was my podcast. mindset. It, like, and that mindset, it translated over, like, that's why I held out for a while. Cause I wanted to yeah. get one you know, much earlier. And I was like, I don't really know how this is going to go. Do I really want to drop, you know, 0.3 ETH on this. And then eventually when I jumped into my first ape, it was, uh, 
two ETH. So I jumped in at two ETH and I was like, oh man, this is the most I've ever spent for any NFT. Like, I'm not even going to tell my mom how much I spent on this because she's going to kill me. Like, this is mm-hmm. crazy. And like back then, like you look at it now, it's like, oh, it's not that much, but it was a lot for me. I had just quit my job. I didn't have, like, I had sure. nothing going for me. It yeah. was a risk. It's the market isn't like people that are listening to this don't understand. Pieces weren't selling for like two ETH on the regular. Not at all. Right. Like, I think this was April of 21. So people had just done the 69 million. Maybe we've seen a couple million dollar uh, punk sales, but there was no PFP market. It was just like punks, apes came along. People started aping in about apes. So the market was just completely different. 2000, I mean, 2ETH was a lot to put on an unknown project. I had anxiety for like a week before I bought it because I was like, am I really going to do this? Like something in my gut is telling me like, I like it. I want it. The community seems great. Like, I just want to know what it's about. And I jumped in and like, I've always had the mentality. I only buy what I collect to keep. So like I jumped in, I was like, I'm going to get this. I'm going to keep it. It's whatever. And then a few weeks later, it just kept going up and up and up. And I was like, oh, fuck, this is going to be like the next crypto punks. If all goes well, I don't want to be one of those people where I was like, oh, crap, I wish I had two and I only have the one, so I can't sell it. So back then I took an even more calculated risk at the time. And I spent, you know, a couple ETH on a second ape. And when I did that, I was like, okay, if this all goes to shit, like it's whatever. I like it. It's still cool, but like, I'll be heartbroken because I just like lost a whole bunch of money, but like, I'll be okay. I'll be fine. And then literally the next day, the floor doubled like after my purchase and it never went down. My God. I was like, well, this like I'm in it for the long haul now. Yeah. So you've got two apes. I've got two apes, two mutants and a dog. Wow. That's some collection there. Can you borrow against your, have you, have you played with any of the DeFi stuff borrowing against it? I haven't played with any of that yet. I thought about it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know much about, like, I don't know enough about it to be comfortable enough to do it. Um, but in all honesty, like I've actually been terrified of touching my ledger. Like I'm afraid I I'm actually terrified because like last week I had to go and I was like, oh, well, they're dropping merch and it's only on ApeCoin. So I have to spend my ApeCoin and to access the mutant merch on one of my wallets. I had to have a mutant in the wallet. And I was like, fuck, mm-hmm. I only have an ape in this one. So I had to move a mutant over. And when I tell you I had anxiety for two hours, uh, like I was sitting there shaking for two hours, like before the fact and after the fact. And I was like, I need to do something about this. I need to, because I can't, I can't, the anxiety is too much. Uh, I need to make yeah. a move on that. Since not buying an ape, um, I spent a boatload on some other uh, projects. How are the and skulls treating you? The skulls are treating me well, but that I didn't, I didn't ape into some other people aped into it and really just, you know, made my collection go. No, go, I know. Yeah. Crazy. So I had 33, I sold 18 of them and I still have 15. And what I've done is I've sold others and then took profit and bought floor, uh, bought floors. 
So like I sold a game token one for like three and a half ETH and then and then sold and then bought a floor one for like point uh one. And so you know, it's just like just buying back in, but still taking profit. It's crazy. Um, I'm hoping that they hit like apes. You know, let's go, let's go a quarter of what an ape is, and I'm I'll be happy. You know? <laughs> All right. Well, I have you to thank for letting me, well, for reminding me to jump back into the skulls because I had claimed one when they first came out in 2019 and completely forgot about them until you had started talking about them again in 2020. And you're like, oh, the skulls are kind of cool. And I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about the skulls. So I actually like went and I had 26. And when they started running. Yeah. I got scared. I was like, I don't know what the market's going to be like. I didn't get all the skulls just, you know, to be like a big bag holder or anything. Mm -hmm. And I saw them start to run and I was like, well, people are going to buy them. I'm going to keep the three that I like and sell everything else because like, I don't want the anxiety that comes with checking the floor every day and seeing like what the price is at. And like, I don't, as an ape holder, you already know that anxiety. It's, it's terrifying. Yeah. So let me ask you a question about like, you have two, these two worlds, right? There's the, there's the PFP collector, and then there's the one of one art world, and we, you know the one of one art world kind of existed before the hype of the one of one art world existed before the hype of the PFP, you know extravaganza. How do you balance, you know, like your, how do you balance yourself in those two worlds? Because I feel like they're two different worlds. Like I don't, as an artist, I don't expect that I'm going to get X copy money yet. I, I think one day I will. I I 100% believe I in my heart that I will. Uh, but, you know, whether that happens or not doesn't really matter. It's the belief, right? And so, like, but I sometimes struggle with seeing all these, like, ridiculous projects and, and the amount of liquidity gets dumped into them. And here we are creating significantly smaller amounts of art and being told we need to watch what our marketplace, you know, the amount of art we put out in the marketplace or, um, or artists are struggling and it's the art is clearly good. And there's a smaller community like trash art, but we don't have the whales that are jumping in like PFP. So I'm curious, you know, what are your, what are your overarching thoughts there? You are correct in that they are so like, they're vastly different markets and worlds and people buy them for different reasons. So when you have the one-of-one collectors and the fine art collectors, they know what they're getting into when they buy a piece. They're investing in the artist and they're like, okay, well, I think this person's going to be big or I just really fuck with this art and I want it in my collection. And that's the intention behind buying it unless they're, you know, more established as a collector and like, okay, well, let me look for the blue chip artists and, you know, who are all the eyes on and who is everyone else collecting? And maybe, you know, I'll get in on a low entry level price. And then when they boom, then I'll make my bang, you know, I'll make my, my buck back. Um, But a lot of the people who are, I guess, we'll call it new PFP money, kind of like new oil money, like the new rich made their money off the PFPs. They came in because of the PFPs and the flipping and the trading and the profits. So they have a different mentality of why they buy any given NFT or any given project. 
They're not out here looking for one of one artists to build a collection. They're out here looking for the next flip, for the next trade, for the next whatever it may be. Their intention isn't to buy, hold and collect. It is to buy, hold and flip. So it's a different mentality and that's what makes it a different world. Um, But coming from my perspective where I was a collector first, that definitely influenced how I view PFPs. Because like I said, going into buying my first eight, it wasn't to flip or to make any money or whatever. It was just, I like them. It could be the next, next crypto punk, but like I liked it for that aspect, not because the crypto punks were worth however much money. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, it's like the digital Rolex. I thought it was cool. And if you, if you change your mentality on why you're collecting something, that's when you have the most to lose because then you're just risking it all and you don't even know what for. So as long as you you collect knowing why you're collecting or you set a goal or you're like, okay, well, if it ever hits this price point, that's when I'll sell. Or if this happens, that's when I'll do this. Or I'm just going to hold forever and not even worry about the rest. You just got to take that on an NFT by NFT basis because not every NFT is going to give you the same return. Yeah, the I tend to not buy into a lot of the newer projects. I've I've got some Avastars, not that that's newer. I've got like seven or seven or 10 of those. I feel good about holding on to those. I've got 15 skulls. I feel really good about holding on to those. Um, and then there's another project that I'm just really fucking deep in. Um, and it's holding, but it, it's not a quick flip. But um, my mentality there has been investment to flip. Whereas when I'm collecting for one-on-one art, it's art to use basically how you say it art i want to fuck with right like trash art is art i want to fuck with you know your art uh yuna's art like i'm i'm buying this art because i love it if if it becomes more that's great but the likelihood of me flipping it slim to none right the only one i want to flip for big boot for big money right now is a robinus toter but that's because i've got two other pieces of his you know and uh but everybody else's i want to hold on to like i can't wait to have a physical gallery and invite kids in you know from my local hometown and be like this is digital art this is what we were creating and yeah here's some pfps and you know blah 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 but like these are artists you know and these are one of one but i do struggle because in order to survive as an artist i've put my money in some PFPs and that's made me be able to continue to sustain as a business, especially when sales aren't happening. So, you know, it's like a double-edged sword because on one side of the mouth, I'm talking and I'm saying, can't stand these fucking crypto chads coming in. They want ROI. And then I'm also trying to make some money off them. Right. But you can do both. Yeah. That's the frustrating thing is that a lot of, a lot of the loudest mouths on Twitter have that mentality and want to ingrain it into everyone else where it's like, well, this is how you should be collecting. This is what you should be doing. And it's like, no, it doesn't have to be any of that at all. It right. literally collect what you want to collect. If it makes you money, fantastic. If that's what you're going for, even better. If that's not, and it makes you money, fantastic. If you lose some money, like you gotta, you gotta ride the roller coaster and take the ups yeah. and the downs. 
Yeah. One of the things that I struggle with sometimes is I, I don't do any page shill posts on my, on Twitter, but I do talk about Avastars. I do talk about Royal Society of Players. I do talk about CryptoPunks. I also talk about other people's art, but I often wonder if people, when people see me talking about that stuff, um, do they think like I'm being paid to post that shit? I mean, cause I'm not, I've paid more than I've ever gotten in return, you know? So I'm curious, like, do you, you, I don't often see you um, like, I want to say like pumping apes, right? As, but I definitely pump skulls. I know that for sure. Is, is that been conscious? Like, are you consciously doing that, um, you know, or is it just sort of the way you interact? Kind of, I, I want to say, yes, it's been conscious yeah. just because of that mentality that was surrounding me on Twitter when I first aped in and it was just like, it wasn't the cool thing to do, so to speak. So I never really wanted to sort of like draw my attention, like draw attention to myself and be like, well, I'm an ape now, this and that, because then I, I didn't want like other artists to be like, Oh, well, jelly sold out. She, all she talks about is apes. Now it's like, yes. I don't want to be that person. Yes. I love my, apes, I would never think that by the way, but like, <laughs> I didn't want to have that sort of like switch flipped or have anyone like have the grounds to say it or like speak on it and be like, Oh, well, jelly flipped her switch because now she's an ape and like this and that and whatever. And it's like, I will post about my ape every once in a while, just because it's fun and I like it. And I like to share my love for my ape, but I do consciously think like, well, I'm not going to post too much about it. Because then, like, that attention comes in. It's just like, I don't want the attention for the same reason that, like, all the other ape influencers want the attention. They're like, oh, well, I'm an ape now. I'm cool. Like, follow me, do this, do that. Like, make me an influencer. It's like, that's not, that's not what I'm here for. I just want to share my love for it. And if you like it, like, that's cool too. But if not, just keep scrolling. Do you think it's unfair for that artists have to think like that? Because obviously these dudes and chicks and whoever are buying apes and they're not influencers, but they're, they're collectors and they're out there pumping whatever they want to pump. Right. And that's part of the, part of the lore of the community. It's like when I was a link Marine, right. Or I still am, but <laughs> I'm not really like in that community too much anymore. I'm more in the NFTs, but like you were just doing the whole, like passing the memes around and, you know, being a part of it that way. But, I feel like as an artist, we're held to a different standard because it's like we're supposed to be something other than that. And I just think it's unfair, but I'm curious what your thoughts are there. I think, well, I, I have a lot of conflicting opinions on the matter and a lot of feelings on it because I do think it is unfair, but I can't really be mad at it because like I understand where some people are coming from and why they have a sort of like a certain perception of apes and like the new people coming in, they see apes and they're like, Oh shit. Like you got an ape. that's money. You've got money. And it's like, no, I, I don't come from money. I didn't have money. Right. Like I have an ape because I, you know, I took a risk and I spent a lot of money that I shouldn't have, but, you know, thank goodness that, you know, it paid off, but if it didn't, then I'd be screwed. So like, and they look at the ape and like, oh, you've got money. You don't need any art sales. You don't need this. Like right. you're set. You're, you know, they, they see the ape and they're like, well, you're rich. You don't need anything. Like, no, that's not my story. That's not my story at all. But like, 
they don't see that. They just see the ape and they just, you know. Do you feel it's important to to control that narrative or you just let people decide whatever? I think for a while I tried to just like not say too much on it. And I guess that was my way of controlling the narrative and sort Mm -hmm. of just like keep it low key. It's just like minding my business, go through the day like any other day. But as the apes keep like rising in the, in the space and all the attention that it's gotten. And especially now with like the ape coin drop and everything, it's a lot of eyes on it. It's not the sort of attention that I want on me. You flip your avatar and change it quite often. And is that because you're like proud of the art you've collected or is it, is there a reason behind that or? I just like to switch it up every once in a while. Um, yeah. My favorites to switch up to are just like the self-portraits that um, Lulu XXX has um, remixed of me. But I just like to switch it up. I like to show off the ducks every once in a while um, mm-hmm. just to show some support to Frankie Nines, who is also an additional artist, um, which is why I got the ducks in the first place. It wasn't just, oh, next PFP is going to go off. It's just, I want to show some support to you know some fellow artists in the space. Um, I just like to show off what I've got. You know, I got these NFTs to enjoy them and to share them. So profile picture I think people coming in today, to you're right to point out that some of the people coming in today, they see somebody who has an ape in their profile and they're definitely like, oh, it comes from money. Or or if you've been in the space since 2019, they think everybody or earlier, everybody owns a punk or you must have got a punk or, you know, you must be rich. No, like it doesn't work. I'm still living. I mean, I'm not totally paycheck to paycheck, but I'm not like, you know, living in a million dollar home, sitting on my ass and like laughing about it. No, I'm still working my ass every day, you know, trying to I've got the goal to be a billionaire for whatever reason. Yeah, that's a goal, right? But that's the whole point. It's like uh, we're held to this standard as creators to like to show that we still want it for whatever reason, especially ones that aren't blue chip. Like once you're a blue chip, it doesn't matter. Like they don't care. You can put whatever you want in your profile. But some collectors have this vision, I think, personally, of what an artist should be, and that clouds their their ability to collect. It's unfortunate. It really yeah. is. But I mean, at this point, like there's nothing I can do about it. Like if people want to collect me, collect me. If not, that's fine. Mm-hmm. too. But like if you're going to look at my eight profile picture and decide that, you know, I'm not worth your ETH just because I have an ape, then that's your own judgment to make. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would like mentally I have to prepare myself and say something like then I don't want them to collect me. Right. And, and I mean that yet. I still want their fucking ETH sometimes, you know, like pay me what I'm worth. It's a funny conversation to have now because like, I'm, I'm not a blue chip artist. I'm not making constant sales. Like a lot of people don't know who I am. They don't know what kind of art I make. Right. But like, if they see the, the ape, they're like, Oh shit, she's got money. Like, I'm not going to give her, you know, my ETH. She doesn't need any more. But then you have like other artists in the space. I won't name any, like name any names, but like they'll have, a punk profile picture, you know, like an ex copy or, you know, like another ape. And it's like, oh, well, they're a blue chip artist. Oh, they just dropped another piece. Oh, I'm going to give them all my ETH or whatever just because of that. But they don't look at that, you know, profile picture and be like, oh, he doesn't need any more money. It's a different view. Like some of them, like if 
they're established, but they have the punk already, or like they got the punk after the fact, it's like, it doesn't matter because they've been established. But like, if you're not established and you have these, these NFTs that are worth a pretty penny, then they're like, Oh, well, how'd you get that? Like, you don't, it's a different view and that's frustrating. Yeah. It's, I don't think that that perspective is ever going to change. You know, I think that we're, it's up to each of us as artists to sort of, and that's why I was going with a little bit with the controlling the narrative. I do a lot of writing and opinion sharing on Twitter and like saying things here when we talk to people um, so that people know where I'm coming from. Not everybody has the ability to create a platform. I'm known, like here's, here's my downside. I'm known for things people don't always know what i'm known for and so like my my opinions get often the most retweets yet my art gets like five or six and i'm like motherfucker like i want to be known for the art but i can't help being this loud somewhat obnoxious person you just got to start giving all of your best loudest opinions and then just throw a throw an art piece of the <laughs> Unrelated to the entire like rant, and then just art. Ah. After retweet it, they're like, "Well, this That's is right. a great opinion, and the art is great too." Boop. That's, That's right. Yeah, it. yeah. I'm gonna try that next. Yeah, that'll be my my All new social take. media <laughs> hot take, and then completely unrelated art next to it. Yes. Where does Jelly think that you're gonna be in five years? In five years. I'll be showing the world my lights. I'll be showcasing them somewhere, whether it's in a tiny gallery in the middle of nowhere, hole in the wall, like wherever, or if it's at, you know, well, I know Mocha is building a physical gallery soon. I'm going to be in Mocha. I'm going to be at Museum of Crypto Arts Physical. Have you seen Colborne's church yet? I've seen pictures of it. I'm I'm manifesting it now. I will be in the Museum of Crypto Art Physical Space. Yeah, I'm going to, I just talked with him. (laughs) <laughs> a couple days ago, and I think I'm going to try and get up there and see the church. It looks beautiful. Um, yeah. I'm excited to see how everything plays out in the next five years. I look forward to seeing my lights hanging up in that museum. There's a lot of talk about like the metaverse and you know VR world, and I struggle with this because I'm not a gamer. Uh, I don't even like jumping into sort of like, and I only own crypto boxes. And I hear you talking. And you're talking about showing your work in a physical gallery out there in the world. Mm-hmm. So what's what's your like, what's your take on the metaverse and how that's going to play out? I'm not much of a gamer either, so I'm not as like into it or like as excited and riveted by it just yet, just because I don't understand it as much. But my niece and nephews are very into like the online gaming, the Fortnite, the Roblox, like all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited to see how they interact with the metaverse. I'm excited to see how they grow and like explore the world because they're aged, you know, from eight to 16. And the metaverse is just going to be their playground. So I'm excited to see how that develops for them and, you know, how their like digital identities will be developed over the coming years. But for, for me, myself, the metaverse is, uh, it's a little daunting for me. Yeah. I'll agree with you on that. Let's leave it there. I have so much more to say about metaverses, but I think I'm going to have somebody on the podcast who 
who runs a metaverse and i'll dive in deep there so we'll see but thank you so much for joining me this was by far one of my favorite conversations especially as we dove deep into you know um who you are as an artist and some of your struggles with making the decision to go full time. Really appreciate you sharing that stuff with me. It was wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. We should definitely do this again sometime though, because oh yes. Yeah. We've we got will. a lot to talk about. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. We should do it without we can do it without recording too. <laughs>